Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast, MoneyWeb's weekly podcast for interviews with leading investment professionals. The guest this week is Devin Shoot of My Wealth Investments. Uh, Devin, welcome to the show. Just as a start, My Wealth Investments um, is the old Regenesis Investments, um, and the name changed this year. But can you just give us uh, a bit of a history? Where, where do you guys come from? Absolutely. Thanks, Ray, and, and hi. Just, just briefly, um, Regenesis Investments, which changed its name to My Wealth Investments, was, was born out of a premise that um, private investors need to take more ownership for the investments. We are owned by the Regenesis Business School based in Santon. And, and really the rationale behind it was quite simple, is that through education on financial markets and investment options, we are able to equip and skill people to be able to make more informed decisions on investing. And what we did is we coupled the, the education side, which is through short courses, seminars, things like that, that we run with um, the investment products that we offer in our asset management arm. Why did you change the name? It, it was just simply to avoid brand confusion, quite honestly. Um, people were getting confused between why a business school would own an asset management company. Um, we also liked the, the My Wealth as, you know, embodying the taking ownership of, of one's financial future. Um, yeah, and it's been well received by our clients. And, and your target audience, um, do you target uh, students at the business school or can in retail investors from outside also invest? Greg, we target both, absolutely. So, so really what our, our messaging is, is that the financial markets are often quite intimidating for potential investors. You know, we've got a, over a thousand unit trusts to choose from. And, you know, how, how, do you, how do you start your journey? How do you pick a partner to, to go with you in that regard? So we've integrated a lot of education into all the degrees we offer at Regenesis Business School. Um, but private investors as well, they, they like the fact that we, we try to avoid as much jargon as possible and, you know, really, really just partner with them to make the best decisions for their financial futures. What is your investment philosophy? So we, we're very much value in investors, and we also run it with a bit of a, a flexible bias, right? So we're, we're very cognizant of the price we pay for, the, for our investments. Would you see yourself as contrarian? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say that. You, you know, we place a high um, degree of importance in quality, but we're, we're not prepared to, to buy quality at any price. And we, we've started... To, to see some really good opportunities with some of the, the, the recent market volatility and weakness in, in certain counters. Uh, we'll come back to the, exactly the, the underlying investments you have, but just uh, on, on the topic of volatility, we are currently seeing a whole change in dimension probably of investment markets all over the world, and volatility is the new status quo. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's been an absolutely... Um, fascinating is, is probably the, the PC way of putting it few few months, but you're right. The, the drivers are changing as as we speak. You know, we we've seen the the emergence of China in the commodity market over the past decade. That started to come into question as they they rebalance their economy. Um, we've been in this environment of incredibly low interest rates. Um, quantitative easing is is still around in some parts of the world, and and those will create certain imbalances in the global financial market system and we've seen them work their way out um, in trade recently. 
But there seems to be themes, and they are short-term themes. You know, a few months ago, Greece, you know, yeah. was the main flavor of the week, and then Chinese growth, or lack thereof, was the next one. U.S. interest rates has been one. Uh, EU growth prospects, um, concern about emerging markets and downgrades of, of BRIC countries. Um, and everybody look, is looking at the, the U.S. economy um, that is, you know, starting to raise its head or rear its head. But, uh, you know, two years ago, the U.S. economy was in a shutdown. How should you approach investments in, in such an environment? Well, Rick, it really much depends on what you are investing for. You know, for our clients, we, we're very much investing for, for the long term. So the real challenge here, exactly as you listed that, shopping list of, of things to, to focus on in the short term is to try to try wade your way through the clutter and see what the big themes and the big drivers are going to be for for equities going forward. And there's there's a couple that we we believe do cut through what's happened recently. Um, we're we're very pro African growth. Um, we believe there's a lot of value unlocked to come there. Um, and we also are, are quite positive on China. We believe this rebalancing that, that we're seeing in the economy is necessary. Um, we, we also, you know, would, would rather focus on, on the, the quantum of the Chinese economy rather than necessarily the, the absolute speed of it. So, you know, whether it's growing at 7%, 6%, 5%, the reality is it's still a massive, massive player within the global economy and, and will continue to, to add to its, its influence there. Where do you see China? Do you see it would become a big driver like the U.S. is currently? I, I think so. You know, if you look at what they're trying to do, they're trying to move their economy from being as reliant on manufacturing to a more con consumer and services driven economy, which is exactly where the U.S. is sitting at the moment. So we're already seeing the trend of a lot of manufacturing being moved to countries like India, which has population growth that's exploding and will probably be a bigger country than, than China in the, in the coming years. And that, that's a very interesting dynamic because if you try to get your head around a Chinese consumer market that is growing and thriving, that, you know, the, the numbers do boggle the mind. But I think, you know, we, we've always seen China synonymous with manufacturing and, you know, base metals. And, and those dynamics are, are changing in front of our eyes, and we need to, we need to be adept at, at changing with them. You also said you were pretty pro-Africa. Where, where do you see value here? So where we, we like the companies that are able to operate effectively and arguably with, with few bricks-and-mortar operations as possible, because what we've seen is some companies get it wrong, and, and cost them a huge amount of money. So we like the logistics plays into Africa. We like some of the retail plays um, into Africa, but, but oftentimes with their South African operations being used as a, as a springboard to reduce the cost of those expansions are usually the ones that are the most successful. Just want to talk about your unit trusts uh, quickly. You use selected or preferred asset managers as partners to, to manage some of these funds. Who are those asset managers? We do. So our preferred fund is the, the 361 Met Equity Fund. One of the reasons, Rake, that, that we've gone with that is that we, we like the hedge fund background and we like the fact that they um, not simply buy and hold for eternity, but they have some flexibility in regard to how they approach um, 
their investments into into the JC listed universe. So they they are somewhat aggressive. We they've got a great track history, and yeah, we we're, we're quite happy to to advocate that, that our clients follow that philosophy. What are the main holdings of that fund? So they've still got their their big holdings in NASPERS. That's still been a big driver of performance for them. Um, You've got MTN, which is, is still a, a big one that hasn't performed particularly well, but, but we're quite bullish on the long-term story there. So, so we're, we're quite happy with what they're sitting in. Why would investors um, invest in, in, in this fund and not directly via 361? So, Rake, what we do is we really try to partner with our clients and kind of unlock the, the jargon and the, the, the choice available to them. So... You know, our, our clients are looking for advice. Our clients are looking for guidance as to, to where to start. Oftentimes, our, our clients haven't taken the first step in investing simply because they haven't known what that first step must be. So our message is very much just start. Even if it's small, even if it's a small monthly debit order, once you are investing, that starts to build confidence. You have a vested interest in it, and, and that continues to grow in itself, and people are start. To, to build more capital for, for the long term. In your weekly stock analysis newsletter, you are very positive about Tiger Brand. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, Peter McClory resigned today. The share price actually spiked quite nicely. But why are you so bullish on Tiger? Well, I, I think one of, one of the, the main reasons is that the, the, the recent negativity around it has, has pretty much been baked into the price. Of, excuse my poor pun. Um, but I think we, we are seeing that those, that Dangote write-off coming to an end. I, I think that they've got massive brand loyalty as, as a company. I, we're continuing to see urbanization within South Africa and the other geographies that they are active in, a lot of which is in Africa. And so we believe this company is very well positioned to grow with those, those themes of African growth, urbanization, etc. But it seems like they did burn uh, their hands to continue the pun in Nigeria specifically. Do you think that risk has now been mitigated? Look, we'll, we'll get the final numbers on the, on the write-offs at the end of the year, Rake, so there might be a little bit more pain for shareholders to come. I do think the fact that the, the share is already pretty heavily discounted from when um, that, that was first broken to the market I think there's not a lot of risk left in it for shareholders, and we're quite confident that our clients are invested in it. The PE is around 17. Are you happy with that? Yeah, we are. I mean, I think you know we're happy with the PE in the mid-teens if they're able to grow earnings to justify it. I think if you if you strip out what's happening with Dengoti, it's more than justifiable. There's a decent dividend yield coming through of about 3%. And I have a feeling that that, that, will, that will start to progress as time goes by for shareholders. And the reaction to Peter McClary's resignation? Yeah, we were discussing it in the, in the investment committee meeting this morning. It's, it's not what you want as a CEO, is it, when the, the shares up 6% on the, on the day you announce your resignation? I think what the market's telling us here is that you know, it's time for a new guard. It's time for, for someone who will, who will steer Tiger in, in this next phase of life. I guess you could call it post-Dangote. Just uh, one sector that uh, many uh, commentators do uh, feel sh has um, some value left is the commodity sector, of course. Um, yeah. What is your view on commodities and investments in the sector? Yeah, Rick, we are 
very selectively optimistic. So I think what you've got here is all, all those major themes at play that we spoke about, the U.S. economy, China, um, come re- really coming to the fore here. I think if you are an investor, there is arguably value, but the caution needs to to be applied here very simply because we haven't seen the bottom in the Chinese economy. We haven't seen the bottom in these commodity prices that seem to weaken on a week-by-week basis. So until we see that, um, they're, they're, they're still somewhat speculative, but I do think that very soon what we're going to see is the supply-demand um, metric come into play, and I think we're going to see a lot of supply being taken out of the system as marginal producers start to go cash negative and um, remove their supply from the market. So I think those are going to be very interesting dynamics. I think we might see some M&A in, in the space. And, you know, some of the underlying fundamentals for these commodities look good. I mean, as you know, as has often been quoted, the, the miners are tough to invest. There's a lot of externalities there. But some of these underlying commodities um, are, are starting to look attractive. We really like the look of platinum and the PGM metals as a – as a play currently. And the main investment target in the platinum sector, what would you say would that be? Well, we, we wouldn't go for the company, so we would try to get exposure with, with the metal directly, either through the exchange-traded note, um, which is in RAND, um, or, or offshore, you're able to get exposure to that. And I think, you know, recently with what, what we've had come out of Europe with the car manufacturers, VW specific, and, you know, they might not be the last ones, shows that um, we, we're going to get more of a focus on emissions controls. It's probably going to be wider and stricter controls there. And that, that could further constrain the, um, the, the supply, or should I say it should bolster the demand for, for platinum. But just looking at the share prices today, Glencore down 11, close to 12%. Yes. Uh, under 20 rand. Anglos, 136 rand. Um, intraday hit a 130 rand. You know, obviously these are big companies. They are solid companies in theory at least. Um, they should rebound from this. What signals do you look for as a buying signal? Well, I think what, you, what you've got to look for in the commodity complex um, will, will largely be indicated by the, the sentiment of the market to risk and to emerging markets. So I think when you see emerging market currencies start to stabilize and possibly strengthen, that's often a, an indicator of buying in commodities and increased risk appetite and the like. I think you, you're looking at these quality companies. You've mentioned Anglo and Glencore. I mean, um, Ivan Glazenberg came up recently and then said, you know, oh, these commodities are almost now being priced for a doomsday scenario. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if that is the case, we, we're definitely going to have lower for longer commodity prices. But I don't think that much is going to have to change in the global commodity dynamics for, as we, as we spoke about earlier, supply to be constrained and uh, demand to overtake that and push prices up quite significantly. Just lastly, the exchange rate is under pressure, as are the exchange rates of many emerging markets. Uh, what do you foresee for the short and, and medium term for our currency? So, Rick, maybe just to give a bit of quick context to that, you know, we spoke about the, the themes coming out of the, the U.S. Federal Reserve and China. What that's done is create massive uncertainty Um, and as a result, quite negative sentiment for anything risky of which emerging markets and by extension their currencies are are part of that. I do think that the the timing of uh, potential strength in these currencies is going to be very difficult, 
but they, my view is that they are pretty significantly stretched at the moment. Um, ultimately, when things do settle down, when maybe volatility is back to more normal levels, I think global investors will continue to look for yield. Um, the, the RAND does offer it. We are in an interest rate tightening cycle now. Um, we don't quite know what the, what the magnitude of that will be, but that does make the RAND um, compelling. And I think we will see some moderate strength come back to the RAND as, as soon as this year. Mm. Thank you, Devin. That was Devin Shute of My Wealth Investments.